Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. I know some of you are not big sports fans, so just bear with me. I need you to imagine, because it is the start of football season, that you are a really big sports fan. And so I want you to imagine that you've decided to go to a football game, not just any football game, a really big football game, which means it's got a really big ticket price. So you paid all the money to go to the really big football game, and you dressed up. I mean, you had all of the gear on. Everything you were wearing was of the right color. It had the right logo on it. You even painted your face. I mean, you're one of these crazy fans. You show up hours early. You meet up with a group of people. You decide to tailgate for a little while, and you're having fun. You're hopefully not getting too loud. You're just really enjoying your time. And then it's almost time for the game to start. So you head over to the stadium. You and 100,000 of your closest friends trek into this stadium. You find your seat. The seats are pretty good. You don't really know anybody around you. But all the people around you are wearing all the same gear that you're wearing, so you're immediately friends, right? You've immediately connected, and you know that you're going to share this experience together, and you're really excited. But before the game starts, you're a little hungry, so you head to the concession stand, you buy your $15 Coke and your $20 hot dog, and now you're ready for the game to start. And then the music starts, maybe there's fireworks that go off, and the team comes running out onto the field, and you are screaming your head off. I mean, you are losing your mind, you and the other people that are around you, and you're like, there's my favorite player, there's our quarterback, you're really excited. And then they get on the sidelines, they play the national anthem, put your hand over your heart, you're a good patriotic American, and you listen to the words, and now it's time. It's time for the kickoff. And the teams run out onto the field, and the other team's kicking it off to your team, which you love because you love to see your offense on the field first. So they kick it off, sails out of the end zone, it's a touchback. And now it's time for the game to really start. So the team comes running out onto the field. They're led by their star quarterback. You're cheering like crazy. You're shouting. You're going nuts. And before the first play, they huddle up. And, and you're commenting to the people around you. You're like, look at that huddle. That, that's a really, really nice huddle. I mean, look at the perfect shape of the circle. The quarterback is perfectly positioned with his back to the defense so they can't hear the play. And, and their uniforms are really clean. The colors are really vibrant. It wasn't the mud hole that many teams played in on Friday night. Like, they're just looking really good. And you're like, don't they look good? They look so good in that huddle. And so the quarterback's given the play. And it's a really long play. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever heard some of these plays, but it just runs on and on and on. And they're continuing to huddle. And you've been to a football game. You're at least familiar with the sport. You know, at some point they have to break the huddle. And it's the craziest thing. They, they just, they keep huddling. And you're no longer commenting about the perfect shape of the circle that they're in and the way that they're really working together to be tightly composed together so that the other team doesn't hear their play call. But you're wondering, when, when are they going to break? When are they actually going to play the game. And by this point, all the stands, there's people that are booing, they're losing their minds. The other team is like, what are we doing here? What I want you to understand, folks, is a church that only gathers and never goes is a team that only huddles together and never actually plays the game. 
I am excited about today, really excited about today, primarily because today is Go Day. It's something I've been excited about for a while, and, and I hope that you're excited because we have folks that are going to be going over across our county. We've got a, four different projects that we're going to be involved with. We've got one group that's going to Snook Christian Academy, and they're going to serve uh, the school and take care of some things that have been needed to be done. We've got another group that's going to Robertsdale Elementary School, going to take some goodies for the teachers and spend a little bit of time praying over the classrooms and over the the students there, just praying for a good year and for God to work through that. We've got another group that's going to a place called Mary's Shelter, and that's a place for um, young mothers or young women who have been displaced or who are having to get out of abusive situations or are going to be serving in some different capacities there. We've got another group that's going to a place called Family Promise of Baldwin County that helps out the homeless community here in our county, and they're going to be doing some different things. And so I'm really excited about today because we've got four different projects that are going to bless four different groups of people and four different organizations. And if you're here this morning, you're like, I think I'd like to go. Well, we want, to, we want you to go. We've got different projects of different work levels for the goal for every person who is interested to be able to go. So it's not too late. You can come find me after the service, and we'll get you connected with one of our groups that are going. But the question is, why are we going? We're going because that's what saved people do. Saved people serve people because we serve a Savior who didn't come to be served, but He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so we're going because we know that that's what God has called us to do. That's His mission for us. Now, one of the things that we do regularly as a church is we gather together. Sundays are really important, right? They're really, really important. In fact, if you've grown up in church, then you've grown up learning how important Sundays are. You're probably like me, where you heard lessons, many lessons, more than you can count, on the importance of Sunday. Maybe your family was like mine, that when the doors were open, you were there. You were there for everything, even the things you didn't necessarily want to be there for, but you were drugged there or compelled or, you know, disciplined to be there. Whatever was going on, you were there because that's what was expected of you because at some point somebody told you, don't forsake the assembly. And so you don't want to forsake the assembly. You know that that's something that you need to do. Well, here's what I want us to think about this morning because we're going to look at a text of scripture where that phrase, don't forsake the assembly, comes from and actually look at it in its context. But what I want us to understand this morning is that gatherings are important. Our Sunday gathering is very important important. In fact, Jesus, when he, when he said in Matthew 16 that we looked at two weeks ago, when he said he was going to build his church, build his ecclesia, that word ecclesia means a gathering of people who have been called out. So we know that gathering is a part of our identity. It's an important part of our identity. But what I want you to understand is that our gathering is like a huddle. We're coming together and we're going to learn a couple things this morning of God's design and purpose for our gatherings. But we also must break and we must go and actually be active in our world and in our community. This morning, I want to look at a text of scripture that comes from a letter to the Hebrews. That's what it's called in some of the earliest manuscripts, a letter to the Hebrews. It's probably a letter that was written to a group of Christians, predominantly Jewish Christians, maybe even a, a little house church that was meeting in Jerusalem. And we know that it was written before AD 70 because in AD 70, that's when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And so we know it was written before then because of the different language that it uses in describing the Jewish sacrificial system. And it doesn't reference the temple being destroyed at all. And it's written to a group of Jewish Christians who they're kind of struggling in their faith. 
Some of them are tempted to kind of turn back to the way that they were living before to sort of do what they had always done because that's sometimes what we revert to as people. We just go back to what we have always known when things get difficult. Some of them are being persecuted. Some of them are just really struggling. They're struggling to comprehend. And so this letter is written to help them understand Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you've ever learned in your life. All of the Hebrew scriptures, all the Jewish sacrificial system, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. And so what we're going to look at is from Hebrews chapter 10. Now what you've got to understand is that in Hebrews chapter 10, it starts out with the word therefore. Andy Dukes has mentioned this a couple times in his Sunday morning class. Jeff's mentioned it before. Anytime you read the word therefore, you got to ask what is therefore? Therefore, what's it there for? It's there for a reason. And what the Hebrew writer is doing is he's building this argument up to this climactic point. And we're now at the climactic point where he's going to turn and start to give the application of everything that he's been writing up until this point. So you're going to have to do the homework of go and read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 10, verse 18. That's your homework for this week. Pretty lengthy homework, sorry, but you need to do it. It's really, really good. What he's going to get to now is what he's been waiting, what he's been building to get to. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, this is temple language. The holy place in the temple was the inner courts, was the inner room inside of the temple. And then behind this curtain, as he's gonna mention in just a second, is the most holy place. So there's the holy place, and then there's the most holy place. And only if you're a priest of the tribe of Levi can you even go into the holy place. And only if you're the high priest can you go into the most holy place. And so he said, we're going into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. This curtain is what separated the holy place from the most holy place. And he says that curtain is the flesh of Jesus. And we know that on the cross, Jesus had his body sacrificed on our behalf so that that curtain in the temple could be removed. Matthew describes how when Jesus breathed his last and gave up his ghost, the curtain in the temple was torn uh, in two from top to bottom like you were to tear a sheet of paper, revealing the most holy place. What I've often thought about is what if you were the priest that was on duty that day and you heard this massive tearing sound and you're responsible for caring for the temple and you walk in and you see the most holy place and you know you're not supposed to see the most holy place. You assume not only are you going to get fired that day, but you just might die. That would have not have been a good day at work. And the writer says, since we have this great high priest who is over the house of God, who is that? Well, that's Jesus. That's the whole argument that he's been building through the letter of Hebrews. He says, let us draw near. Now, if you're a Jewish Christian or a good Jewish man or woman, you've grown up learning the Hebrew scriptures, you know the one thing that you don't really get to do is draw near to God. You kind of serve God from a distance. All the way back in the book of Exodus, God invited Israel to draw near, and they wouldn't. They were afraid. I mean, you would have been afraid, too, if you were standing at the base of a mountain and there was lightning strikes and thunder and all kinds of chaos going on, and there's an invitation to draw near. I think you'd be like, I think I'm just going to stand back at a distance. I don't want to exactly draw near, because the closer you get to the presence of God, the closer you get to the holiness of God, the more it strikes fear into your heart because of how much you realize you are not holy, and you do not deserve to be in the presence of God. But thank goodness, it ain't about us. It's about Jesus. It's the whole point. So he's inviting us to draw near into the very presence of God with a 
true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's using language that the Hebrews and the Jews would have understood. He's talking about what the priests would do to be able to draw, to be able to go into the presence of God. He would have to sprinkle himself and wash himself clean and purify himself, just like we're called to do in baptism, to have our lives washed clean from the sin that plagues our lives, and it's washed clean through the blood of Jesus. And then he says, let's hold fast this confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. We're going to come back to that one. And let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works. This is one of the reasons that we gather, not neglecting to meet together, or some translations say not forsaking the assembly or the assembling of ourselves together as some develop the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. A couple things I want to point out to us this morning to remind us of why we gather. Gathering is a part of our identity. We've been called by God to gather together, but this is not all that we're called to do as God's people. Sundays are important, but Sundays were designed, our worship is designed to remind us of a couple of things. And here's a couple of those things. First off, our gatherings should recenter our hearts. I've said this many times, and I'm going to say this many more times because I don't want you to ever forget it. Your heart will not naturally drift toward Jesus. You will not wake up a year from now and just go, wow, look at that. I accidentally got closer to Jesus. That will never happen. No one has ever done that in history. You only get closer to Christ out of intentional action. You will always naturally drift away from him. Now, just think about over the, last, over the course of this last week, just think about all the places you've been. Think about all the people you've interacted with. Think about all the difficult decisions you've had to make. Think about all the, the difficulties that you've endured this week. Think about all the ways Satan has been tempting you and you've been trying to fight off temptation. My guess is, is that you've had a week that sometimes you come in here on Sundays and you're just kind of worn down. Maybe your faith's been damaged to some degree. You're struggling. Now you were really good because when you walked in, you plastered on a smile, right? And, and some of us are dressed down because we're ready to go work and ready to go serve. Some of you are still dressed up, and that's fine. That's good. Most weeks, we're all really good about dressing up, putting on nice clothes, put on a nice smile, walk in, kind of fake it, kind of let everybody know I'm doing great, I'm doing great, even though inside my life is falling apart, my faith is struggling, I'm really going through some stuff right now, my heart has drifted from God, I'm battling sin, I don't know really what to do. What I think about is I think about a group of soldiers, and they've been out fighting all day long, and they are fighting their hearts out, and then the sun goes down and they come back to their camp, and when they come back to their camp, they restock their ammo, they bandage any wounds, they're encouraging one another, they're talking about their battle plan, things that they can do different, things that they can do better, and encouraging one another, because you know there's somebody in that group of soldiers that's really struggling, that the battle had an even greater effect on them that day, and they're wondering, are we going to win? Is this going to be my last battle? What's going to happen? And so they gather, gather together, and they're regrouping, and they're encouraging one another, and they're saying, no, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep fighting. You've got to believe that we can do this. Folks, that's what our gathering is to recenter our hearts so that when you walk in this place and your heart is drifted from Jesus and you've had a week or a month or a year that's just pulled you farther away from him, that you can walk in and go, I need some help. I really need some help. My heart has drifted and I'm worn down. I'm beaten down and I'm struggling. 
And I think the second reason why we gather is closely connected because our hope can, can sort of get pulled out of our grip. And so we're called to regrip our hope, retighten your grip on that hope. Did you notice what the Hebrew writer said? He said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Saw this video a few years ago, and then I actually saw it again a couple of weeks ago, and it was so good I decided to watch it again. It's a video from back in 2014. This is Admiral McRaven. He was a Navy SEAL for 36 years, and he gives this speech at the University of Texas. It's their commencement ceremony. It's a really awesome speech. It's only about 20 minutes long. It's well worth your time. And if you, you may have seen it, or maybe you just don't remember it, but the first lesson he talks about is getting up and making your bed every day and starting yourself off with a really good task. Making your bed every day, it's not a lesson that I've learned. I don't really agree with that, but he said it's a really good thing, so maybe some of you do that, or maybe you'll start doing that. But there was, there was something that really jumped out to me, because he talks about, in a Navy SEAL, going through what's called BUDS training. It's this really long period of training that they go through, and there's this week, and I'm not going to tell you what the week is called, because it's not a great name, but there's this week that all Navy SEALs go through where they basically don't get any sleep at all, and it's toward the end of their training. They don't get any sleep. They're just doing physical activity over and over again. They have to lay for hours and hours, about 18 hours in the Pacific surf, just enduring the cold and sticking together. And their instructors tell them all the time, guys, there's something you can do to make this all in. All you have to do to make this in, if you don't want to get up early anymore, you don't want to do any more training, you don't want to lay in the surf anymore, you don't want to do this anymore, all you have to do is ring the bell. Just go ring the bell and it'll be all over. They encourage them to go ring the bell because they want to make sure that the guys that make it through are the most committed, that they have a no quit kind of attitude. Let me ask you this. Have you been tempted to ring the bell? I'm mean, going to guess at some point there's some of us who agreed to do something in our life. Maybe you decided to play a sport. You're going to be in the band. You're going to be part of this extracurricular activity and you got into it and you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. And you were tempted to quit. Maybe you even quit and you walked away from it. That's hard, isn't it? But then there's more serious areas in life where you're tempted to ring the bell. Maybe it's a job where you're just having a really hard time with a coworker, can't complete the task, you just want to ring the bell. Marriage, it's just struggling. It'd be easy just to ring the bell. Maybe it's your faith. Worn down, beaten up by sin, your heart feels so far from God. You're here because you know you need to be, but you know your heart is just not where it needs to be. Not sure that God could ever forgive you. You just wonder why. Should I just ring the bell and give up and quit trying? Don't ring the bell. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us hold fast. Hold on. Re-grip your hope. Because if you lose hope, it means you have lost the promise that things will change. Don't you ever forget that you serve a Savior. You're following a Savior who the whole essence of our faith is around the fact that things get better, that things change. Because on that dark Friday when Jesus was crucified and he gave up his life on the cross, it seemed like that was it. 
game over until Sunday morning when the stone was rolled away and light broke into the tomb and Jesus walked out of the tomb. And that very event, which is the crux of our faith, it's the whole core of who we are as followers of Jesus. It is the promise every day that things will get better, that it will change because Sunday is always coming. It's always coming. It comes 52 times a year. And on Friday, when it seems like all hope is gone, Sunday is coming. And on Sunday, you'll gather together. And maybe it's a song, maybe it's a conversation, Maybe it's a verse from God's word. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's just the Holy Spirit working in your heart that reminds you things will get better. And so one of the reasons we gather is to regrip our hope, to hold on for the promise because God is faithful that things will get better. And sometimes it's not necessarily in this life that they get completely better, but there is a promise of a future in glory where everything will be made right. Everything will be renewed. And it will all be so much better than you and I could ever imagine. So hold on. Don't ring the bell. Keep pushing. Third reason is that we're reminding ourselves to go and do good. Some translations in verse, I think it's verse 25 or 24 say, let's spur one another on to love and good works. It's a really interesting image of spurring one another on. So uh, up until we moved, my girls were doing horseback riding. We got to get them back into it. It's not that we've forgotten. They remind us we got to get them back into it. They're really, you know, they're really getting really good at it. Now, I'll be honest with you, as a dad, it would take my breath away and scare me to death to see my little girls on the back of a six to 800 pound beast. I mean, there are so many things that can go wrong, but I just had to trust that God was in charge and that they knew what they're doing. Their instructor was really good at her job, but it would just take your breath away to watch them control this massive animal that they were in full control of. And one of the things that they would do because Horses can be like teenagers. Also, horses can be like toddlers where sometimes they just want to do their own thing. They don't really want to listen, right? Maybe they're like husbands too. I don't know. Things are just coming to my mind of all the things that horses are like. And so anyways, one of the things that they would do is they would wear these things on the back of their boots called spurs. And it was this, it was this round little spike ball, if you will. And what they would do is you wouldn't kick the horse with the spur. You just take that spur and you just kind of dig it into the side of the horse when the horse wasn't doing what you needed it to do. And it's a reminder as that horse experiences a little bit of pain in its side that maybe I need to do right. Maybe I need to do good. And it's just spurring that horse on to doing better. Let's just be honest. Some of us need a quick, a swift kick in our side to be spurred on to do good, right? We need to be reminded I'm not saying literally, I'm saying spiritually, metaphorically. Sometimes we, get, we come in and our focus has gotten off. We've kind of blown through the week and it's been all about us and we've overlooked opportunities to do good and to bless other people just because our eyes weren't on those that were in need. And we come in and we go days, weeks, months, maybe even years of just kind of living self-centered and of not fulfilling the task and the things that God has called us to do. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says that God has prepared good works for us to do before the creation of the world. The things we're going to do today were commissioned by God and planned by him before the foundation of the earth. It came to us a couple of weeks and months ago to figure it out, but it was in the mind of God before he laid the foundations of the world. What you're going to do today is in the very providence of God. You are living out his will for your life today. Things he had planned long ago for us to accomplish today. Isn't that awesome that the person you interact with, the person that you find that's in need and you hand them a couple of dollars and you think, wow, what, what a crazy circumstance that I just happened to 
come across this person. That was planned well in advance. You just had no idea. God had a divine appointment for you to meet. You felt like you happened to be there at the right place at the right time without fully understanding that this was very much in the plan and mind of God. And he led you to that person so that you could perform that good Work. The challenge for us is to remind ourselves of why we're gathering. We're not just coming together to huddle and just get a great game plan and to just stay in our little huddle and to be tightly together and to be all nice looking and to have this perfectly formed circle so that we can go and we can do good. And not just the places that we're going today, but as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go back home, as you go to the stores, you go to the birthday party, all the places you're going to go, God has planned in advance good works for you to do. Why? Because I want to remind you of this as we close. Did you catch what it said at the end of verse 26? Because there is a day approaching. And you don't have to be an English major to realize that the word day is capitalized. And it's capitalized for a reason. Because it's not just talking about another day. It's talking about the day it's talking about the day that Jesus is going to return. We must all be regularly reminded that there is coming a day when Jesus will return and we will stand before God and we will be judged. And we can stand before God in the righteousness and holiness of Christ or we can stand before God trusting in our own goodness. I don't know about you, but I want to stand before God in the righteousness and holiness of Jesus, not in my own abilities. But don't you forget, there is coming a day when you will stand before God. My question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before him? If Jesus were, were to return today, which the Bible calls for us to pray that that would happen, for Jesus to, re to return, the, maybe you've heard the phrase Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, it's how Revelation ends with this invitation that Jesus, please come. We're ready for you to come. The reason we gather is to remind ourselves of the good things that we're called to do because Jesus is returning. And as you go serve today, you're trying to point people back to Jesus to tell them there is a day that is coming when Jesus will return. Are you ready for that day? And it's a reminder to us as we gather together and as we worship and we always close our Sunday gatherings with an invitation to remind ourselves Jesus is returning to ask ourselves the question, am I ready? If Jesus comes today, am I ready? If not, let me plead with you. Don't you dare walk out that door. Don't leave until you're ready. If you need to put on Christ in baptism, we're ready to celebrate that with you. If you need to recenter your heart back onto him, if you've lost your hope and you need to talk to somebody, somebody to pray with you, if you need to be reminded and kind of spurred on to do some good this week, don't leave if you're not ready. It's why we gather. It's why we're here. So I want to challenge you to consider whether or not you're ready as we stand and sing this song.